Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons to trace its creative evolution and count down, finding the exact moment in which the show began to suck. I'm your host, Eric Santuan, and this week I'm once again joined by Chris Prentice, also known as Moltisanti on some film-related forums of certain repute. We'll be discussing the episode Krusty Gets Busted, which originally aired on April 29th, 1990. This classic episode served as the formal introduction of Sideshow Bob, indelibly played by Kelsey Grammer. Both Chris and I are great fans of this episode, with its well-constructed mystery plotting and imaginative direction by Brad Bird, but we are also big fans of Kelsey Grammer, and that becomes a big topic of discussion. Of course it does. Honestly, it's just a big discussion in general, culminating in a tangent where we go into the tabloid TV craze, which had a particular boom in the mid-90s, and one could almost say this episode was very prescient in that regard. In any case, there's a lot to talk about, and we get it done in just under an hour, so now sit back or lean forward in your living room, bedroom, or bathroom, and let us keep some entertaining company with you during these lonely and occasionally stressful times, because we're all in this together. Here we go. Yeah, so how you doing, Chris? Welcome back. Oh, I'm doing very good, very good. How about yourself? Oh, uh, not bad. You know, here here we are, locked in. That's what we got to do. We just got to grin and bear it and That's get on right. with our life. That's right. Locked in yeah. and uh, enjoying Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Perfect time to uh, just sort of binge watch the simpsons if that's what people uh, want to, oh of course want of course do. yeah yeah so i guess i guess now if if you don't have the the physical versions i guess the only place you can watch it is on uh disney plus now i believe i, I don't think it's it is available anywhere else at least in the states as i understand it uh it is uh, currently only available to stream on disney plus and i think this is at an international level you know, uh, this is not a plug for Disney Plus, but no, no, you know, <laughs> but if, I, but if people want to watch the whole thing right now, you know, digitally at least, the only place they can get it is Disney Plus legally. Yeah, which I, can get it. <laughs> which I don't, I don't have uh, Disney Plus. It's uh, there. See, I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm living, I guess, ten years behind everyone else because. I pretty much stream everything through a PlayStation 3, which is still fine for Netflix and Prime and Hulu and YouTube and lots of other stuff. But uh, Disney Plus, is it's no good for Disney Plus. It's uh, no good for the WWE Network. So going to have to probably make a change and, and get... get advance from uh, 2011 into 2020 with a uh, with some kind of product eventually yes you may have to i mean I, at this point i would recommend that maybe you wait um and just jump into the ps5 uh oh, bandwagon yes. since, since the ps4 at this point is reaching the end of its life or alternate alternatively uh once the uh, ps5 comes out the ps4 is definitely going to drop down in price and you could just jump into that, and that's got Disney Plus, and it's got like all that other stuff. So that's true. That's you true. will you yes. will definitely have options within a few months from now. 
That's right. Uh, That's a, a, a fine idea. Yeah, assuming we're all still around and whatnot. Well, yeah, uh, I was going to say, by then I, I'll probably have to trade a gallon of gasoline for a PS4. But Yeah, uh, perhaps. But, yeah, it could very well happen. You know, knock on wood and all that. Um, well, the today we're going to talk about Krusty Gets Busted, and so I'm curious... If you uh, don't have access to Disney Plus, how did, how did you did you watch it recently? Were you able to see it? Oh yeah, no, I I still I like I said, I mean I I'm kicking it old school with the the vintage season one DVD set. So uh, ah yes, I uh, I busted that out for uh, the last episode that we did, and I uh, you know blew about. 12 or 13 years worth of dust off it since the last time I had busted it out. And, yeah. um, and yeah, so that's, that's how I've, uh, how I've been enjoying these episodes is, uh, the, the straight up old school DVDs. Well, honestly, you're probably better off and I'll tell you why. I mean, um, maybe you've heard of this and maybe you haven't, but on Disney plus where they are currently streaming, they have cropped them so that they can fit into a 16-9 aspect ratio, you know, for the rectangular televisions. And in cropping it, they've done a really shitty job of, like, reformatting the image. So they just basically zoom in. And what used to be a, you know, a a square image for a 4-3 television is has now, they zoomed it in so it can fit into the rectangular thing. And by doing that, they cut off parts of the frame so essentially, it kind of looks like shit, to be honest. Yeah, I, I did read about that, I and mean, to me, it's kind of—it's all—it's very ironic because, you know, when when a lot of this stuff kind of first came out, the whole problem was everybody had the square TVs, and we were trying to watch movies on a square TV, so they would cut off the sides. And, you know, the whole pan and scan thing. And so you were missing a good chunk of the sides of the movies because everybody has square TV. And so now everybody's got, you know, a more rectangular television and all the stuff that was originally broadcast for square TVs is now all being jiggered with to to fit in the the the, the wider TV. So we've kind of come full circle in that regard. Yeah, it, it's it's very strange. It sort of reminds me of back in a few years ago. Look, let's let's go back about before Blu-rays came out, when it was yes. just DVDs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here in Bolivia, where I live, there really is very limited options. There are very limited options as far as getting DVDs. So there's a lot of piracy. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it's all about bootlegs. There is a kiosk right outside my building that every like twice a week or whatever, he's got his, you know, DVD, he's bootleg DVDs selling movies, some of them currently in theatrical release, some of them, you know, older than that and whatever else. But my point is there was a time when DVDs were relatively new still, where what would end up happening, you'd get these DVD bootlegs and you take them home. And this is, this is when I still, let's say, had a, a regular square TV, you know, and but, you know, by that point, I still I preferred, you know, the um, DVDs to be letterboxed because I liked seeing the full image. And I had a pretty yes. big I had a pretty big I think it was like a 32 or whatever inch or 40 inch like square TV. So it looked pretty big and it looked good. And I, I didn't like watching, you know, uh, pan and scan movies. So but you would take these DVDs home and you would realize that in bootlegging them, what they had done is they had zoomed in the image 
to remove the black bars. Ah, yes. You know, so then you know, then you'd go back and what the fuck? You know, what? Why is this zoomed in? It was like, well, people don't like the black bars, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck about what people like or don't like. I mean, it's like you can actually do that yourself on the DVD or on the T. You can zoom in yourself, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I. I would always tell people that because, you know, back in the day, people were always ticked off about the black bars. And I would just tell if you really don't like it, just hit the zoom button. And Yeah, and they'll be yeah. gone and it, it will look just as shitty as it used to look. But, you know, like it will look exactly. terrible. It will look terrible. Just like you want to see it. That's how it's going to look. You can go ahead and hit zoom. Don't just don't force that image on me. Right, um, but right. yeah, people people really would get in a tizzy over the black bars. That's for damn sure. Yeah, so now they don't have to worry about the black bars. In but like I said, going back, you're you're probably better off. But anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about the actual episode. We are here to talk about Krusty gets busted, which is um, personally, it's one of my favorite episodes of the uh, first season and of the series oh. in general, but definitely the first season. Oh, easily, yeah. No, this is this is a. Uh, a bona fide winner from uh, from start to finish, no doubt about it. It comes relatively late in the season. I'm not sure if they produced it very late in the season, but I would think that maybe they they did because if you look at it, um, it's one of the most one of the, probably the most polished episode uh, visually of the whole season. the The character designs are a little bit more polished. It's a little bit closer in its look and feel to how the series would eventually start getting once it got better. It just feels more polished than the other. Yeah, one. that that, and I think it's also, you know, one of the few episodes from the first season that basically is more focused on a character outside of the main family. Um, it's you know primarily it's about what's going on with Krusty, and we learn about his life and a, a lot of his his origins and and kind of what makes him tick. And so I think that's another uh, a huge difference that sort of sets this one apart compared to the other episodes in this season. Right. Well, it is interesting. Um, you're, that's something I hadn't thought about, but you're right. It is probably the first episode where the main plot is not centered around any of the Simpsons characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're, 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 it kind of right. becomes to where you know bart is obviously crucial in in clearing him and and so it you know becomes uh he's obviously a major player in the episode but in terms of just you know learning about a character and if if you had to ask me who is this episode about then i'm gonna say oh it's about crusty they relay a lot of information about kind of how Krusty started, you know, in terms of when they show all the stuff on the news broadcast about him. And uh, so I, I think this is kind of the first time that we've gotten a good glimpse at one of the, the supporting characters on the show. Right. Where it's like, and they, they tell you his origin story and like, he's a vaudevillian. Like he, 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 do they, is, do they talk about him being in the Catskills or something? No. Oh, they, they mention they mention him starting out, but it was like some Midwestern city. It kind of contradicts a bit the whole the, the the episode later on, the one that you know Jackie Mason uh, guest voiced. They, so they 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 sort of contradict that a little bit um, on this yeah. one in terms of his his beginnings. Um, so yeah, they don't really get into that portion of his 
of his life. It's uh, it's just more about you know when he had a, a health issue, he had a heart attack, and they show the footage of that. And um, so yeah, they, they 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 get into a lot of it, but it's not so much about his his early childhood and things that they explored later on on the show. Right. Well, actually, that scene where they show. Like where he had a heart attack while yeah, he has uh, a heart attack on on the during the show, which right. I mean the the animation in that scene is so hilarious. It's I'm, just, I'm laughing now, just thinking about it. It's yeah, like, it's it's just um, perfect. Look, lump succulent sausage, honey smoked bacon, and glistening sizzling. Yeah, the animation in that sequence is is brilliant. I I think we have to give a lot of credit to the director Brad Bird. Oh yeah, uh, directed this episode. He he he's somebody who clearly cut. You know, he looks to inspiration to old Looney Tunes cartoons, Chuck Jones, and and yes. that, that sort of thing. And you can really see that in this episode. That that the heart attack scene. I mean. You know, you're laughing at somebody having a heart attack, and it's because of the animation, because oh, of his yeah, face. No, totally, uh, totally. It, one of my favorite parts of the episode is that specific sequence, and it's uh, it's it's very jarring, but in a in a hilarious way, is because I don't right. I don't think there really had been. I mean, as the show would progress, there would be moments like that on the show, but I don't know if there had been anything quite like that on the show up until this point. I mean, the episode in general has a lot of cinematic flourish to it. And just, they put a lot of emphasis on certain things like that visual gags that are very specific and very funny. And going to the thing about the heart attack, I, I do, I don't think, I don't know that this was deliberate, but it does make me think because like he's, he's hawking, uh, Sausages, right? Right. It's uh, all <laughs> different types of uh, bacon and uh, right. various yeah. pork products. And it just it, it got me thinking. I believe that I don't know if it was in the eighties or nineties, but there was a time when James Garner was oh. a spokesperson. I think was it for it was some kind of meat product. Uh, okay. Or maybe it was a steakhouse or something like that, where James Garner was the was endorsing it. I've devised my own way to cook perfect steaks without slicing them open. Beef, real food for real people. But I believe that James Garner himself was at that time a heart attack survivor. Okay, yeah. It sort of makes you think, well, you're endorsing food that you probably yourself at this point couldn't eat. Yeah, it (laughs) might have been a a subtle dig at that. That's quite possible. (laughs) Right, I mean, but just for me, it's just the fact that he's like, you know, hawking this very greasy, you know, stuff that's really bad for you and so and you know he has a heart attack it's the yeah. whole concept well, is just well really and then it's also the fact that it's in front of a whole live audience of children right. is, is the other the other uh, the kicker to the whole uh, the whole sequence so that's uh, you know i can only imagine if something like that were to happen in real life that would be uh, one of the most viewed uh, clips on youtube forever and ever <laughs> absolutely the, the fact that the, yeah the kids think it's a bit um, right. I, I, I don't know if th- this, there is something that happened. I don't know if it was before or after this, but uh, he's a it's a British comedian. Oh, yes, yes. Who had a heart attack on stage, died on stage. Yeah, yeah. And people thought it was a bit. I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did. I did see that before. That was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a, that one wasn't as funny as you, as you would. Well, I, I guess you wouldn't even really think it would be that funny, but but yeah, I did make the unfortunate decision to watch that once before. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like on YouTube or something if someone wants to check it out. Um, oh, no, yeah. he does not make funny faces the way that Krusty does. He just kind of falls. No, it's just kind of... It. Yeah, yeah it's, without without the, the Brad Bird animation, it doesn't have the, the yucks that you would hope for. Yes. There is one YouTube clip which uh, I think, although it's not about a heart attack, but I think it 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 is similar to this and it's a good segue. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the clip of Kelsey Grammer uh, uh, giving a, I believe he's giving a speech or talking about something on stage and he falls off stage like right as he's talking, he's like walking. Trip through It's a Small World, pretending I was a UN interpreter. <laughs> like that's, uh, that's funny. And you know, Kelsey Grammer is the big guest star in this oh, uh, yeah. episode. And at the time, they made a big deal uh, out of that. You know, it was a it was a big deal because Cheers was still on. Oh um, yeah, Cheers was like the the king of TV at this point. And I do remember that it was a big. You know, this was very publicized. You know, when, when the when the show before it even aired, they were already talking about it, like on Entertainment Tonight and on on any other shows. Like they were talking about the fact that Kelsey Grammer was guest starring on The Simpsons. Since um, I mean. We've spoken about this before. Albert Brooks had already done a couple of guest voices in the right. season, but he didn't credit himself and they didn't publicize that. Right. Uh, so technically, this is the first big guest star of the yeah. show in the show's history. It was publicized and he's credited and it's all, you know, it's all there. I do think that he knocks it out of the park. I mean, we we've talked about, you know, Albert Brooks and how he's a genius and, you know, he did great work. But really, I would say that. Uh, ultimately, I think Kelsey Grammer is the best guest star of the season. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I loved what uh, what Brooks did um, with his characters, but yeah, I mean, as soon as you hear Grammer's voice on on this show, it's like nothing could be more perfect than that. I mean, he just he just oozes that whole sort of uh, the evil intellectual who uh, he's going to be the, uh, the, the the mastermind criminal of, of the show. Yeah, well, he's a great villain. I mean, it, it, sure. is, it is the first episode uh, of the show that kind of has this, let's yeah. say, it's, it's like a genre story. It's a, it, it's a, it's a bit, it's kind of a thriller, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, it's, you yeah, know, it's, it's a, it's a mystery story in a sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a detective story. It's a... yeah. This could have easily you you know you if you change it up just a little bit could have easily been a, a father dowling mystery. Yes, yeah. uh, with the you know nobody nobody's killed, but there is a crime committed and the wrong yes. person is accused. Father Dowling or Perry Mason or whatever, but like like a, a, of the time, Matlock. Yeah. Um, That's right. I always preferred Father Dowling. I thought I don't think he gets he he was short lived compared to Matlock, but uh, I think Father Dowling was uh, is one of the more unsung uh, TV detectives. Man died in my confessional. Tom Bosley's up to his collar and cries. My lucky day. It was an interesting concept for a for a mystery show, and you're right. Something like this uh, would have would have fit right in. Sideshow Bob turns out to be a really uh, interesting villain, as you said, that like he didn't start out as being this sort of brilliant criminal mastermind. And who even knows if at the time that they wrote this episode, they thought that that would happen. I'm pretty yeah. sure that at this point it was like, well, this is a one and done, right? you know, and then, but it's good that we have a really good actor to play this part. It's a, it's a fun part and, you know, he can have fun with it and it could be memorable. And I do think it's more, 
he's kind of a, I mean, he's the villain, but there's a tragedy to the character because what you, what you see is that he's a very talented, sophisticated guy, but he's relegated to being the dumb sidekick, mute sidekick of, uh, of this, uh, kind of second rate clown, you know, and, right. and, and, and so that he hates that, you know, yes. <laughs> despises constantly being shot out of a cannon. Um, Which, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's obviously uh, quite a motive for him to uh, to frame Krusty for this crime and to uh, to take over uh, Krusty's show. It's it's in in some ways it's the perfect crime. Right. I mean, because nobody, you know, uh, if it weren't for the brilliance of uh, Bart and Lisa, nobody would have ever been the wiser. Uh, No, (laughs) no, absolutely not. Ironically enough, the the. The show, what, what is it? Uh, Sideshow Bob's Cavalcade of, uh, it's, it's this weird, it, it changes too. Yeah, yeah, know. he does, he changes the name somewhat. And, but I like how he says that, oh, you know, we're, we're still, we're still going to have Itchy and Scratchy. So, you know, they're, they're not going to change it wholesale. Uh, but then he does spend time, you know, reading from the, the man in the iron mask. And so it's, right. it's I guess it's his his grand attempt to, to culture the, the children of Springfield and, and how dare he do such a thing? Yeah, of course. How dare he? And, but that, and that, that's kind of my point. Like ultimately the show probably would have been better. Um, in fact, at the beginning, Lisa is actually enjoying it. You know, once she has accepted that, because you know, as far as she's concerned, Krusty at that point, she, she believes that Krusty is a criminal. What the hell are you doing, Lisa? I'm watching Sideshow Bob. You know, he's a lot less patronizing than Krusty used to be. You backstabber, you traitor, you... Snap out of it, Bart. Face the facts. All those hours we spent staring at Krusty, we were staring at a crook. It's an early example of cancel culture uh, on behalf yes. you know, of <laughs> being practiced by Lisa. And, and she's actually embracing this new show. Yeah, well, I, well I, what I like, though, is that, you know, even though Lisa is always, you know, the, technically the, the smartest member of the family... And, you know, she's the one who's the most well-read and she's she's very much, in fact, the most the most cultured is that they have these scenes like in this show, you know, where she's watching Krusty the Clown with Bart and she's basically right down at his level. I mean, she's loving the itchy and scratchy cartoons and she's so even though she has that very kind of cultured sensibility that they've given her and you know she's a musician and she's got all these talents that she's still also a kid and you know she right. can enjoy the, the crusty show just as much as bart does and um so i mean that's that's kind of a, a little thing that they've done they always done with her character where they haven't made her just a complete um, you know, almost like a Doogie Hauser type who's just can't really relate to kids at all. She still is definitely a, a, a little girl. Sure. And I, and I, you know, I can relate to that part of it. And I, I think in some way you can too, because uh, you and I, you know, we, we've, we came to be friends as members of a internet film fan community yes. where, where we basically bonded over our shared love of like B action cinema, you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, and that's and, and to be perfectly honest, like I take pride in the fact that I can find just as much enjoyment out of watching a, a cop thriller like Above the Law as mm-hmm. I can watching Heat. You know what I mean? I can. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to compare the movies on an artistic level, obviously, but I'm, I can say that they are both enjoyable 
they both have their own merits and I can enjoy that. And I think Lisa, she can enjoy a, a, a wacky slapstick, itchy and scratchy cartoon, just like she can enjoy Sideshow Bob reading The Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good comparison. And um, yeah, I think she she can appreciate when people are good at their job, whether it's in a, in a more cultured way or even in a, in a lowbrow way. You know, she she's able to to appreciate when when she's seeing quality entertainment. And uh, and so, yeah, so I, I, I like that aspect to her character. That, uh, that they, you know, they have her able to enjoy Krusty just as much as Bart does. A volley of musketry flamed, thundered, roared! A profound silence followed, broken only by the approaching footsteps of the 3rd Brigade. So now let's talk about Kelsey Grammer for a bit, because uh, he's, sure. he's definitely, the, the, as we said, he is the highlight of this episode, and oh, yeah. I think both of us, both of us appreciate uh, him, his talent as an actor, and wonderful voice that he has that mid-atlantic oh, yeah. that mid-atlantic inflection is just I, I i just think it's one of the most delicious voices of anybody like working in the industry today <laughs> yeah well like i you know I, i've always kind of looked at cheers as kind of the, what was sort of the my bridge into comedy was with cheers because you know before i ever watched cheers you know, like the only kind of shows I probably would have saw was stuff like Different Strokes or Facts of Life and, you know, those kind of shows that, you know, whatever. They're just shows that you just basically watch and that's all you really do. Whereas, like, with Cheers, it was kind of like that was the first show that I would watch and I could really kind of tell, okay, there's there's some real talent on display here there's there's some really good writing these are very distinct characters you know this is a show that you know there's there's more work being put into this show than the other shows that i've been watching and um so i mean I, that's how i've always kind of looked at cheers and and i mean i really love all the characters on that show but fraser was always my favorite because i just loved how they would take this very cultured and educated psychiatrist and just by him being in that bar, it would always drag him down to into the mud. And it would, you know, he would have to, you know, basically go on the level of everybody in that bar. And, you know, he would end up usually being the, the, the more crazy person than anybody on that show. And so that's that's why I always kind of loved that character. And, you know, his performance as that character um, was just I always thought was just hilarious. Well, it's 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 interesting to note a couple of things, actually, because, yeah, he he came in uh, to Cheers, I believe, in the second or third season. Yeah, I think it was, I believe it was the third, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, it was right around there. Yeah, it would have been, maybe, you're probably right, I think it's the third, because there was like a cliffhanger at the end of the second season, uh, where Diane had gone away, and then she comes back, and in the third season, um, she comes back and she's dating Frasier, right? Yeah. And yes. I think it wasn't intent. He wasn't intended to be a series regular at that point. He right. He was basically just going to be kind of a uh, you know a new foil for Sam, and you know he would be competing with Sam for Diane's affections. Um, but yeah, it was never, as far as I know, was never planned to be a, a permanent character on the show. I guess they saw his work was so good, they'd be fools to not keep him around. 
Oh yeah. But but do you know? Do, have you heard who originally was cast or who they were thinking of to play Frasier when it was just this one-off? Yeah. So the, they were originally thinking of John Lithgow. That was. Oh okay. And, now and that in fact, I didn't know. They, they'd even talked to him, and I think he was considering it, but I think he couldn't do it because of commit of other commitments or something came up. Not that he didn't want to, but something there was some reason why he couldn't do it. He was unavailable or whatever it was, and that's why they went to to Kelsey Grammer because Kelsey yeah, Grammer is basically an unknown I, actor at that point. He was a just a theater actor. You know, he wasn't right. really. And, yeah, I mean, I, I can totally picture that. I mean, I can see Lithgow playing that part. I can't really imagine him playing it for as long as Kelsey Grammer would have. I mean, no. I think Lithgow definitely would have been like, okay, yeah, I'll do a few of these and then I'm going to be right. on my way. But yeah, I mean, I can totally picture Lithgow playing that type of character, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think he would have done a great job. But but as you say, what would have ended up happening is it, it would have been evidently that, you know, a handful of episodes and then that story arc would have been resolved. And then maybe he would have been brought back for like some guest spot at one point, but it wouldn't have been something like that. And therefore the character would not have grown and we never would have gotten Frasier as like a, a, a character, which I agree with you. I mean, he, he is my favorite character in Cheers. Yeah, like there's just so many great bits. You know, I agree with that talk show host. Give me a comfortable pair of old ratty house slippers any day. So that's how it is. <laughs> now I'm a pair of ratty old house slippers. At least this afternoon I was an old shoe. You could at least wear me outside, maybe do a little gardening. Is that it? You all think I'm just an old slipper? Am I a good boy? Would a good boy do this? I am running with scissors. Yeah, so I mean, basically having him on that show to kind of be like the the contrast to Norm and Cliff and and all those characters it, it just it made the show I mean then the show was was perfectly good before Frasier but I, I think he brought so much to that program and uh, I mean I can totally understand why he got uh, the spinoff out of it which I wasn't as high on the spinoff it was it was fine I just to me it it just didn't it wasn't the same anymore. Um, it, it was it was a decent show, and you know, I'm not gonna say that it was bad or anything like that. But I just I felt like that character was it was a lot better when he was sort of the, the character that was the, that was the the odd duck instead of being the, the leading man. But that that's just me. Yeah, no, I I completely understand. I mean, I don't I I, I happen to be a really big fan of, of Frasier. Um, but but I see your point. I mean, uh, you know, uh, of the show. I mean, yeah. but uh, but I but I totally see your point. I mean, I think um, it, it ultimately it's a thing about flavoring, you know. And, and uh, you're right that in Cheers uh, he worked as as the whole point was he's the odd duck, and so in a sense he's almost like the straight man, although he could be very funny. But it was about putting him. He's he's the odd man out, you know, in, right. in the situation, and that's what makes it comical, and they can play with that concept. Whereas in Frasier, he had to take center stage, and in order for that to work, they actually had to change. They had to retcon the character because ultimately, the Frasier that we see in in Frasier is not really the same guy that we saw in Cheers. They they had to make adjustments so that yeah. it would work. Yeah, and so to me, like my favorite character on Frasier was the, his dad, the, the John Mahoney character, and he was basically the odd duck on the show in terms exactly. of... And, and that's why I, I really appreciated him on that program. So they kind of 
they kind of made him kind of the reverse Frazier yeah. on Frazier, basically. And uh, so, you know, I mean, again, it, I, I liked Frazier. I mean, it was fine. And it just, it, it doesn't, you know, when I think of Frazier Crane, I think of him on Shears. And, and that's just kind of how I associate the character. Yeah, he, he just sees an added value element. He's definitely an added value element, of course, to The Simpsons. And his, I just love his delivery. You know, he, he has oh, this, sure. it's the, just the way he has of delivering lines, his yeah, sense he of just, timing. He, makes, so he makes everything sound better. Um, you right. know, he's, he's one of those guys that could take just the most kind of basic line and he just knows how to how to get that little extra nuance out of it that that makes it just a little bit funnier than somebody else would let's try to remember crusty not as a hardened criminal but as that lovable jester who honked his horn and putted around in his little car and shot you out of a cannon and shot me out of a cannon yes we will never forget that will we he really nails it uh, as far as playing the bad guy when then I saw him trend, you know, when he started doing movies, and to be fair, he really hasn't done too many, and and they unfortunately haven't been great. Uh, no, no. You know, like, I, but I do remember I was really excited when, and I'm not like a fan of this franchise, but the only reason I even wanted to see what was the third or the fourth Transformers movie, I think it was the fourth one where he's the bad guy. Yeah, it's the yeah. fourth one. It's the one with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, see uh, now, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to defer to you because, yeah, it was after one Transformers, that was it for me. I mean, the thing is, I, I don't even want to, I know you're a fan, and I, and, but, you know, of, of the actor, and, but I even, I would be like, I don't know if I want to subject you to, because it's like a three hour movie, okay? It's three hours. Oh, of, I know. Yeah. Of, of, of giant metal uh, piles of trash beating the shit out of each other for three hours, yeah. like headache inducing, uh, quick cutting and, and of the Michael Bay variety. And um, it, I, I would say I can't, I could not in good conscience recommend it, but it's fun to see him play the bad guy. He, he definitely tears into the role. You know, he's like the hissable villain, you know, the, the, the evil, you know, corrupt guy. It's just, it's terrific. And he's, uh, I do love like, he's got a, a, like a final line right before he, you know, because it's this whole thing about the war between the Decepticons and the, the whatever the convoluted bullshit mythology that's going on there. But, um, you know, so right when he's got, when like at the end, when he's, he's got the drop on, on Wahlberg and he's like pointing his gun at him and he, he's got this really dramatic thing where he goes like, there are no good aliens or bad aliens, Jaeger. It's just us and them. And you chose them. I'll tell you the, the movie that he did that, and it's not a very good movie. Um, but I thought he was good in it, and he's not really the villain, but he's just kind of an uh, uh, kind of an unscrupulous character. Is the um, the De Niro Ed Burns movie Fifteen Minutes? Oh, where, of course. Uh, yeah, where he <laughs> plays the uh, the news anchor, who's you know obviously will do anything for ratings, and is you know he doesn't care what what happens as long as he gets the story. Right. And and it's the the movie itself is is not. So hot. I don't want just blood and guts. If it bleeds, it bleeds. There you go. Like I, I clearly remember that I went to see that movie because he was in it. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a fan of, of of De Niro, and but and and so like I remember, oh, it's a De Niro thing, and then uh, I see that uh, that Kelsey Grammer's in. It. I was like, oh shit, I gotta go. You know, this this is gonna be a good movie. 
I was, of course, disappointed in the movie when I did go see it, but... Well, yeah, because, I mean, they kind of, like, I guess the big thing in the movie is that, you know, they they basically... I mean, I'm spoilers for a 19-year-old movie, yeah. but, I mean... They, spoilers they, for a terrible movie. Yeah. They kill off De Niro pretty much midway through it. Now you're left with an Ed Burns movie, and that's that's a problem right there. It's like on the yeah. one hand, yeah, you you have kind of faked everyone out by killing De Niro off really fairly early, and it's like, wow, oh my goodness, look at this. But then you're left with about you know 45 minutes of ed burns trying to save the day and it's just you know i i think maybe they would have been better off killing ed burns off and then just keeping it a de niro movie you want headlines you want to make money you want to be a celebrity shoot me 15 minutes i don't really care for ed burns uh, i don't know the guy he might be a perfectly nice guy but i find yeah, him very I'm sure he's... i remember yeah. wanting to see like there's this movie confidence Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And I remember, you know, looking forward to it because I liked the whole cast, you know, with the exception of Ed Burns. You had it had this great trailer with the Queens of the Stone Age. It's not just about money. It's not just about trust. It's about getting away clean. Edward Burns, Rachel Weisz, Andy Garcia and Dustin Hoffman. Confidence. You're a good grifter, man. Had you pop in confidence of, oh, this might be a cool, and it was directed by James Foley, who, you know, is mm -hmm. a reliable guy. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. But again, you have to sit through an hour and 45 minutes of Ed Burns, and it just doesn't yeah. really work. It's confidence. It's just confidence. I mean, it's it's hard to hard to figure out why some of these guys are, are able to get these parts and, and why they get these these brief flashes where there are leading men and, but yeah, the whole Ed Burns experiment, uh, nothing personal against them, but it just, yeah, that was not a success. And, and I guess it was probably what a sound of thunder, the sound of thunder that basically put an end to it. So you can say maybe Peter Himes made one of his worst movies, but then he also kind of did the world a favor by snuffing out the brief period of fame that Edward Burns had. In the year 2055, travel will be possible we're taking you back 65 million years to hunt the greatest predator the world has ever seen but there is one rule on this hunt someone will die this september evolve or die it has to be connected to our last joke we must have changed something and what did you change we don't know edward burns the sound of thunder. All right, great. So back to uh, back to Krusty Get Busted. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, bring up that we haven't talked about yet? One of the moments that jumped out at me watching it now is in the the very beginning of the episode when when Bart and Lisa are are watching Krusty. Yeah, that would be a think piece right there if this were oh, air, yes. air today uh, as a fresh thing. Hey kids, who do you love? <laughs> How much do you love me? With all our hearts! What would you do if I went off the air? We kill ourselves! <laughs> the plot of this episode, it's more like a genre piece than yeah. any of the other ones. It's not its not really a family-oriented drama or thing. It's, it's a... It's a it's an adventure mystery, you know what I mean? And yeah, it, it's not, it's not really, uh, it's not, uh, there's no moral to the story really. It's, 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 it is basically, it's a mystery. It's, you know, you know, it's, it's essentially a whodunit and, you know, what, what are the following the clues and, 
hey, there's the sign that the you know not not to come here with a pacemaker. Well, Krusty right. had the pacemaker, and then there's the revelation that Krusty can't read. Well, we see that Krusty on the camera was reading, and you know, and eventually the what seals the deal is the uh, uh, sideshow Bob's giant feet, whereas yeah. Krusty has small feet like a. Any normal decent man would. Krusty wore big floppy shoes, but he's got little feet like all good hearted people. It's, you know, probably somewhat offensive for people who have large feet. The reason I was bringing that up, though, is because I don't, again, these episodes were not, that, as far as I know, they were not written in, in order, in the same order that they aired. They certainly weren't produced in the same order that they aired. But it is rather interesting because. The previous episode to this is the one where Bart goes to France, and yes. uh, and in that episode, if you if you'll recall, uh, that has kind of a, a, a genre thrillery element to it. You know, Bart gets sort of exploited by these corrupt French winemakers, uh, and at the same time, you have the whole subplot about like a a spy that, that whole thing. So it's kind of like a it's got like a spy thriller element to it. Then you have this episode, which is kind of like a mystery story. And then you have, you know, the next week's episode, which is the season finale, which involves, you know, uh, uh, again, kind of a, a thriller sort of storyline of a of the evil babysitter bandit putting the kids in danger. So it is interesting that you have these three episodes. The three episodes that end the season are very much have genre elements to them. That's true. Yeah. And I hadn't I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah. It's, it's unusual how these things sort of come together. And I don't like... I don't know how it was decided. I don't know if I think maybe it, it was arbitrary, but it is interesting how that's how it all kind of fell into place. Uh, I do know this one detail, and obviously by the time this episode was written, this was no longer the case. But I do think that early on when they first came up with the concept of Krusty, like if, if you look at Krusty, he pretty much looks like Homer, but yeah. just with clown makeup on, you know, and, and yes. whatnot. And I think that initially, when the character was first conceived, they thought about doing, uh, eventually revealing that he was Homer, that this was some secret life that Homer had. Yeah. Um, This might have been a potential thing that they wanted to do eventually, but they didn't. And, you know, thankfully they didn't. I think that that would have been weird. I hated him. His hackney shenanigans robbed me of my dignity for years. That's why I framed Krusty. I would have gotten away with it too if it went for these meddling kids. I I, I also I want to say that there's uh, in terms of kind of other moments that stood out to me here is a great early moment for uh, for Reverend Lovejoy um, doing the uh, doing his his you know Sunday sermon and you know wanting everyone to bring their crusty merchandise i urge every halfway decent member of our community to gather up all merchandise that bears the likeness of crusty that clown prince of corruption and join me in a public burning i mean like i said i said at the beginning when we were talking about it it is kind of it predates the the idea of cancel culture yeah which i'm putting in quotes air quotes because you know it's a thing that We've labeled now, but it's right. But it, what, what it shows you is that this sort of thing has always existed. You know, right. the the idea of a of a public figure, an entertainer, eventually falling from grace, and it it has happened. It's not like oh, it yeah. only, you know, people say, "Oh, it's a, the the only difference is that right." The internet didn't exist back then, so no. it, it just didn't feel like it was so in your face. 
but there's no, I mean, things like this happen all the time, you know, I, I, oh, yeah. and, and particularly with, with, uh, child, um, entertainers in very horrendous, uh, things that happened here, obviously, I don't know if they're doing a play on that. I mean, maybe in some way they are making an allusion to it, but, I, but obviously they don't, they have his crime be something uh, that's, uh, oh, he just, you know, he, he held up a convenience store, which, yeah. It, it it's kind of like a thing where you go and don't people they cert, they certainly don't do enough of an investigation because you go like why would a wealthy because you you'd have to th- you you you'd imagine that Krusty must be a relatively well off person he's got a television show I mean this is before we know you know he's maybe gambling debts or whatever else but right. the the fact that he would need to like that would be the first uh, the thing where you would doubt it like he held up a convenience store for yeah. money. Like, what, why would he do that? Like, why? You yeah. Know? Well, it's actually, it's interesting because, you know, obviously on The Simpsons, Krusty is the beloved child entertainer, has the children's TV show. And this whole episode is about a scandal in which the, the host of the child show is, is put in prison, commit, is found guilty of this crime. And it, it's actually somewhat reminiscent of and it, it actually predates this by about a year of sort of the downfall of Pee Wee Herman, which was basically a year later uh, yes. from this episode. I mean, it, it's the the parallels to that are kind of are, are are somewhat similar, where you know you had again beloved child entertainer, uh, you know Saturday morning show that all the kids love, and then obviously the unsorted. Uh, a crime that he was arrested for, followed by the the mugshot again before the internet. I mean, I can't imagine if that happened during the when when you know now. But man, even for something that wasn't uh, what, that didn't have the exposure of the internet, I mean, that was a huge story back in that at that period. Yeah, it was a huge story, and you're right. The the mugshot, um, coincidentally enough, uh, Krusty's mugshot and. You know, Paul Rubin's mugshot are are eerily similar. If you look, yeah. at, if you go ahead and like, they're it's quite. Like if if you were to show this episode to someone and and tell them, oh, you know, this was this was actually, you know, if you were just to kind of tell them this was a year after and this was all done as a parody of that, you'd probably believe it. But um, you know, this was before all that. But it's just kind of interesting how right. how that real life situation really sort of paralleled this episode. Yeah, and it kind of shows. I mean. A scandal around a guy who jerked off in a porno theater, you know? Um, yeah, simpler times. And they made such a big deal out of it because he's a child entertainer. But but yeah. I think, that you know, that was what it was. But it's at the time, and of course now, but even then I was like, really? Like, I mean, is this really a big deal? Are we, I mean, what did he do? He did something in a theater that somebody else probably also was doing, but he was just unlucky enough to get caught. I just remember it being, I mean, cause I was, you know, probably in, in the earlier years uh, in high school when that kind of happened. And it was like, you know, that was like the talk of everyone was, Oh my God, can you believe that mugshot photo? And yeah. Holy crap. And hi, boys and girls, your friend Peewee has been on a new adventure. That, that was just one of those stories where, that happened when tabloid media s- sort of started to really get going. I mean, it, it was more, maybe more the mid nineties when it was a really big thing. And then you had, 
you had Tanya Harding and you had the Menendez brothers and you had, a, you know, the granddaddy of them all with OJ. So, you know, Pee Wee was a little bit before that, but it was kind of one yeah. of those early tabloid stories that, you know, hard copy had a field day with and current affair. And, and so it, it just was one of those earlier stories that kind of kicked off the whole, you know, tabloid frenzy that really kind of is one of the, the hallmarks of the nineties, basically. It really is. And, you know, it, may, it makes you it, it's interesting to put it in perspective, but you're absolutely right. Like I was thinking, you know, yeah, you have the Pee Wee Herman thing, which is, you know, relatively lighthearted yeah. in, you know, in comparison with some of the other things we've just mentioned. I mean, O.J. Simpson, you know, let's not even get started there. But, yeah. but you know, but but it's almost like there was this escalation. You know, yes. you, you, you have you have you have Paul Rubens jerking off in a porn theater and then, you know, you have uh, Amy Fisher. All this damage by someone who still shows absolutely no remorse for her actions. Sometimes I think this is a nightmare and it didn't happen, and then I realize that it did. For many months, you had stalked Mary Jo Botafuco like a wild animal stalks its prey. Motivated by lust and passion, you were a walking stick of dynamite with the fuse lit. These things, Your Honor, they are all true. They are facts. The, the Menendez brothers, that was, a, you know, even though the, you know, they weren't famous themselves, it was just because it was all part of that Hollywood culture. A, a huge story that all those those shows covered um, for, you know, that was kind of probably the biggest one before O.J. And they all got movies. They all got, you know, oh, Amy, Amy Fisher got three of them, three counts in the three movies. All of them entertaining for different reasons. The the Menendez brothers, I mean, a lot of that is parodied in the cable guy. That's a big part of the cable guy is, is yeah. that they not only have, you know, Ben Stiller playing a variation of the Menendez brothers within the cable guy's reality, but they also have a movie based on those crimes in which right. Eric Roberts is playing Ben Stiller. It, it gets very, it's very funny stuff. Tonight on UPN, the trial that's captured the nation. Everybody is waiting for the verdict, but you don't have to wait for the movie. Cry, baby. Look who's baby. crying now. Eric Roberts is Sam and Stan Sweet in Brother, Sweet Brother, The Killing of Stanton Sweet. Parental discretion advised. I think the cable guy does a better job of basically shining a light on that tabloid culture than natural born killers was trying to do. I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. I have not, I have not seen the cable guy in a while. Although like oh, when, when I did see it, I, I liked it immediately. I mean, I, when, when I first saw the cable guy, when it came out and it, it came out accompanied by bad press, obviously, because it had bombed, yes. you know, yeah. and then, I got bad reviews, but I remember sitting there watching it and thinking it was brilliant. It was just a, a brilliantly witty comedy when I saw it then. And then you know, I, I revisited it a couple of times. And I just, I've always found it very funny. And whereas, you know, Natural Born Killers, I did like it when I first saw it. And I, and it, you know, it had an, it had an, made an impression on me when I was, I guess, 17 or whatever it was, you know, it kind of hits you in a certain way at a certain time. And I, I even bought the soundtrack and I still like the soundtrack, but I've never really felt an urge to revisit Natural Born Killers. Yeah, cable guy. I, like now that we're talking about it, I kind of feel like watching it right now. It, it's it's not one that I'm too fond of. I, I did watch it within the last couple of years, and I just it to me it's 
they might as well just name it, you know, trying too hard the movie. It's it's is basically natural born killers. I mean, I feel like there's there's a little bit of novelty early on. I can kind of appreciate this on just kind of a twisted level, but it just it just goes on and on, and it just is constantly trying to to outdo itself and i feel like it never really does outdo itself and so yeah it's just never been one that that i've really been into i will revisit it to, to reassess it in a way at some point because it has i mean i have not seen it in at least 15 years or something but i i do know that at the time you know i i considered it good but i i can see how because even then like when i thought about it it's not a very subtle movie certainly oh, and God. So when you are a little more aware of things you go like you know I get it, Oliver Stone. I don't need to be, you know. And whereas you're right, I mean, the cable guy kind of touches on the same topics in a way that is maybe a little bit more. It's I, I can see why how it would work better, you know. Right, what I mean? like that's it's not necessarily the plot of the cable guy, but I think right. a lot of you know kind of what what has become of this generation raised on television raised on you know mass media and you know what how warped have have they become i feel like you kind of almost get a better look at that in cable guy than you do in natural born killers ultimately natural born killers is just like it's an in-your-face expose of the media as a concept whereas yeah Cable Guy actually shows you the effect of the media. It, it, so, yeah, I think I, I, I can totally see it your way. Uh, wow, that's a great tangent that we just went on, huh? If we don't battle to the death, they will kill us both. This isn't Star Trek! So is there anything else that uh, we have not covered? Um, with regards uh, to the- boy i mean it's just just the fact that it's 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 a winner of an episode sheds light on a on a kind of a, a character that we didn't have so much light shed on before and um i think it's kind of a a preview of what was to come from the series in terms of giving more more time to the supporting characters and really kind of you know building on the whole you know universe that's that's going on in springfield yeah i mean it's definitely my favorite episode of the season and i think i would almost want to say that it's the best episode of the season the most polished one it has uh you know brad bird obviously has a lot to do with that sure i would think um because there is a certain quality to this episode the way it's put together the pacing of it all those visual gags that we talked about yeah and a lot of really fun cool stuff that this is an episode that if you put it in a, in a later season, it would fit. It wouldn't it wouldn't feel so out of place like uh, some of the other episodes of the first season that would definitely you would definitely see this rawness to them. Yes, yeah, no, I mean this this is one that if you were to basically take the same script and make it a, a season three or a season four episode, it it would fit just fine with the ones from those years. It has many of those hallmarks, the, the fact that they get a, a, a really good actor to to play the guest role, and, and just the story is really nicely constructed. It's like a genuine sort of mystery. I mean, it's not really, a, you know who it is, and even the, the show itself reveals that. You know, it's a, they don't really make a big deal out of... It's, it's kind of like Columbo in the sense where you know who the bad guy is, and it's just a question of how they're going to catch him. Yeah, definitely one of our favorites. It's a good one. And this is a good talk, man. This is a, it, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun to, to relive these things with you, man. It's Oh, absolutely. Fun. 
we go off on some tangents, but it's it's what we're doing. I mean, it's just a lot of fun to do this. Yeah, well, I think that just kind of speaks to how how much the Simpsons kind of permeated the culture in that, you know, you can kind of take their plot lines or just references and you can, you can basically spin them off into all kinds of different discussions. Absolutely. Like the, the like the really good episodes really give you a lot to talk about. That's that. That's true. For um, sure. Well, once you get really into it and, uh, and this one goes into media culture and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's, it's a great episode, and this has been a great talk, and I, I want to thank you for, for joining me again. Yes, well, thank you for having me on. I, uh, this is a, 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 a great diversion from, uh, from world events. Oh, yes. Right now, I think we could all use a little bit of a distraction, and, and I'm definitely going to have you come back on the second season to talk about some more classic episodes, because it's... I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. You, you let me know, and then I'm, I'm there to, 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 to relive these uh, these classic Simpson episodes that I uh, haven't seen in, in a very long time, but I, I'm enjoying revisiting them. All right, man. Thank you for, thank you for coming. All right. Thanks for having me. See you next time. So that's it for this week's installment of the Simpsons countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please give us a like. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. Feel free to leave a comment or two expressing your appreciation. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends both virtual and actual, on your social media platform of choice. The more you care and share, the more listeners will come on board, and the podcast will just get bigger and better with each passing week. So thanks in advance for spreading the word. I'm Eric Santuan. Next time, I'll be joined once again by Mike Drew Flynn. We'll bring the first season to a close discussing Some Enchanted Evening, the one about the evil babysitter. Remember that one? I hope you'll join us. And in the meantime, stay safe. Please stay home. Practice social distancing. And keep yourselves and all of us safe by doing that. Thank you and be well. Amy Fisher is a liar and has zero credibility.